0: Uh, speaking of generosity, uh, last week in uh, Passover we had a fantastic celebration hearing great testimonies already, I, in my own life I've had testimonies that have occurred from our, our experience last week. It was just uh, over; the, it may be one of the greatest services I've ever been in. I don't know. I just from the music to the proclamations to the preaching, it was just amazing. And, and uh, but it was it was really a really great day. But here's what I want to get to: our first fruits given. We had the largest. First fruits offering in the history of our church right now, I think $270,000 first fruits given last week, which is amazing, amazing when you think that that's being matched, which is a as it stands now, five hundred will be five hundred and forty thousand dollars, but they're willing to match it all the way up to three hundred. So we're only like thirty thousand more away from a total match of three hundred thousand. So it'd be six hundred thousand. And so, thank you for your generosity. Uh, you know, I've been looking in the scriptures. It's and, and you say well, a good question: Where all does this money go? Well, it helps us continue to do everything that we're called to do. You know, our budget's here about three hundred thousand dollars a month. It takes to do all this stuff around the world and everything that happens here at Word Alive. So it just kind of ensures that we keep making those right steps forward and can make decisions based, from a, based out of a place of abundance instead of a place of lack. And it's just a really significant season for us as a church, I believe for you as an individual, that uh, God is moving us to a place of double portion. And so we're excited about that. If you missed out on it, didn't get to give, you know, the scriptures, interesting, God gives us 30 days at Passover. It actually says in case you were traveling or missed out on it, he doesn't want us to miss this first feast so we can hit all the cycle of all three of them. And so... Uh, if you've missed out, if you uh, wanted to give, uh, to, to move the song to that place of total match, then you're more than welcome to do that. We'd love for you to get on the first fruits giving if you didn't get to do that, and we bless you in it. And we're just praying God opens the windows of heaven and pours you out a blessing that you ain't even got room enough to receive. Part of these first blessings is first fruits. We have something for you today. Uh, Aiden Taylor, a lifelong friend of ours from England, he actually is an extension of Word of Life in England. He has a home. Uh, uh, his home celebrates with us there. He has a great ministry uh, in the secular realm, really. He's out, out and about in the streets and all over England preaching the gospel. Uh, he's personally in security at the airport. That's what he does there. But he's a musician, and he's basically very prophetic. And he's taken a lot of the messages over this last season. And him, along with our tech team, Matt Roughton, and uh, some of our own musicians have put together a CD. It's, it's a CD called First Fruits. And uh, the the songs are amazing, like Alpha and Omega, Uh, High Hopes is a a song, This Blood is for You, which is really cool, Easter's Debt, Son of God for You, Uh, Song for a Friend, uh, Luke 7, Double Portion Roar, Uh, Shine 58, that's Project 58, One by One, W-O-N by O-N-E, and I love the last one, Be His Church. And so, this is brand new. It's a first fruits, and he's giving these to us today as a first fruits offering. So, he's got 500 of these that he wanted to give us free of charge today just to sow into our life. So, can you put your hands together for Aiden? That's a great gift today. And thank you, Aiden uh we pray over this project that that god would use it not only in churches but in the secular realm and around the world and so aiden will be out at the bookstore today if you'd like to hug his neck and pick up one of these for you and your family uh it's amazing i love to listen to music in the car when i'm traveling and uh That worship does a lot for us, doesn't it? And so, thank you, Aiden. It's a fantastic project, and a lot of these songs are his original songs, and so, well, they're all his original songs, actually, and uh, that'll be a huge, huge blessing to you. And You may even want to buy a couple extra to give away to your friends if he's got some extra out there today. We want to uh, move today into this uh, place that God's taken us. This is a very significant time uh, when you look at the, the seasons and cycles of God, Passover, as great as that was last week, is not a culmination, it's actually a beginning. It says Passover is the beginning of beginnings. And so when we look at this huge Passover season that we've celebrated last week, that's not like a culmination of something, it's actually a beginning of a spiritual season. And so we're at a very important place the next 50 days as we transition. Are y'all cold? Y'all look a little cold, I feel like a cold spirit. Are y'all, Are who's, anybody cold? Cold? Hot, lukewarm. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you're cold, snuggle up by somebody. We well, can get a little body heat going there. And if you're hot, tell them to move over. So uh, I just want to make sure you're comfortable as we can make it for you. We're, uh, we're in this special transitional season of Passover to Pentecost. So the next 50 days are important. You know, it was these during this time. Where you can, I can take you through scriptures, if you, uh, if we had time today, and show you where the forty days after Passover Jesus actually revealed Himself to His disciples in many many ways. Remember He uh, Mary at the tomb. I mean, um, uh, Mary at the garden uh, introduced Himself to her. Then he walked through the door where His disciples were gathered. And you know, isn't that cool? Jesus didn't need a door. He is the door. right? He just walks through the door, and shows them Himself to be alive. Right. Uh, On the road to Emmaus, two guys are walking. Jesus, the risen Christ, reveals Himself to them. Uh, Peter fishing, then sees Him on the beach. And uh, uh, aren't you, don't you, don't you love Jesus? Loves the beach, right? Loves a beach party. And so they had a a big beach party there with His disciples and spring break, and it was awesome. And you know, then they uh, had a great time on the beach with Jesus and uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So these this forty days. Jesus was revealing himself. So what, what's my point? This is a season and a time where God wants to give you revelation. So touch two or three people and say, get ready to have a revelation of Jesus right now in this season. Are you ready to have a revelation? This is important time. Speaking of revelations, how many believe God still speaks? So I was uh, really, really, really praying as we were entering to 2018, and I had very specific... Probably the three of the most specific spiritual dreams I've ever had in my life, January 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. On the 3rd of January, I was uh, in a deep sleep, and I, I knew this dream was from the Lord. And I was in a meeting on a platform, and men were ex- uh, and women were exchanging jackets, uh, garments. Uh, pastors and ministers were exchanging these garments with each other. And I knew it was a spiritual dream. All of a sudden, Chuck Pierce is in this meeting, a prophetic friend of ours. He comes over and prays for me, and another gentleman. We fall out under the Spirit uh, in this dream. I get back up. I don't know this guy, but he seems to be of a Spanish orientation, uh, his culture. In the midst of the dream, the Lord now in this dream says, This man you're standing before is a man named Ed Silvoso. I'm like, did the Lord just give me a man's name? in a dream. So now, and he said, there's a spiritual exchange that's supposed to take place between you and this man. I wake up from this dream, and I'm thinking, I, it, I didn't know how to spell it, Ed, I got Ed right, Ed Silvoso, wrote it as I thought it would do know, phonetically, Silvoso, thinking, I don't know, Ed Silvoso. Go back to sleep, wake up the next morning, now I wake up thinking, man, I think I got somebody's name in a dream last night. Go Google. Thank God for Google. What did Paul the Apostle do without Google, right? So he got on Google. And sure enough, there's a guy named Ed Silvoso. So I research him, and he's 74 years old. He has been in the ministry preaching the gospel for 40 years. He has a network called the Transformation Network where 4,000 people are in the network, 1,000 pastors and 3,000 business people. And God has used him to transform 190 cities in many nations in the world through the concept of what the church is actually meant to be. This is a real guy, Ed Silvoso, S-I-L-V-O-S-O, that I got right. And he wrote this book called Ecclesia is one of his books. So I called Chuck Pierce. I said, Chuck, I had this dream. I said, Do you, what do you think about this? He goes, What did I think about it? I know Ed Silvoso. I was just talking to him two days ago. Calling. This is God. So I connect with Ed, he's 74 years old, he called me, he's the sweetest man you've ever talked to on the phone, and he just, we talked about a few minutes, and he said, Kent, he said, I I feel the Holy Spirit as strong as I've ever felt him on something, God is about to use you and your church to transform your city and that territory around you in a supernatural way. So I've been reading this book with this title, Ecclesia. Ekklesia is a very interesting word because it's the word actually, the Greek word that Jesus used for church. And over this journey, over the next 50 days, hopefully we'll be gleaning for ourselves what it means to be a part of the church and what does it mean to be the church, what is the church created to be. And I believe that the Lord will use this time together to help us experience personal and corporate transformation as God leads us into a season that I believe that we're supposed to walk into that the church is going to really be an instrument of change and transformation in society. So it's pretty exciting to say the least. There's a word paradigm. It's been coined as probably 10 or 15 years ago a paradigm shift. What is a paradigm shift? An important change that happens when the usual way of thinking about or doing something is replaced by a new and different way. Simple definition. An important change that happens. This is a paradigm shift. When the usual way of thinking about or doing something is replaced by a new and a different way. So when we go to the Word of God today and we look at the church Ecclesia, we're going to take this scripture, we'll dive into it just for a minute, and hopefully the Holy Spirit will help us begin to make a paradigm shift of what God wants to do in this season. So touch three people and say, I'm ready to make a shift. How about you? Tell them. Two, touch two other people, tell them shift happens. Shift happens. Shift happens. Look at Matthew 16. And, and may, we, may we pause here just for a minute as well. If you've been experiencing lots of turmoil, that just means the winds of change are blowing in your life and God's moving you. He's shifting us and moving us. So you're in a really good place if you got the winds of change blowing around you. Here we go. For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels and he will reward each according to his surely I send you. There are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom. Son of man coming in his, in his kingdom. Let's go on to the next scripture. I don't know what, that's a good one, but let's go on to the next one. Do we not have another one? Let's go on to another one. This is the one I want. <laughs> and I say also to you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatsoever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatsoever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This is the only time in the whole Bible that the name church or word church is actually used. Interesting. And it's only mentioned, the, name, the word church is only mentioned three times and it's all in that passage. Nowhere else in the Bible does it talk about church, the word Church. I find that very intriguing. I find it very intriguing that the, that the way the church was started or the way the church was supposed to be moved forward was in an encounter with God where Peter comes on the scene and his name's Simon, and he says, "'Who do you say that?' And he said, "'I say you're Christ, the Son of God.'" Jesus said, flesh and blood did not reveal this unto you. What's that telling us? The first thing about church. Church ain't about natural things or flesh and blood or mental ascent. Church is about you and I having an encounter with God and our eyes being open. And we say, yes, I know who Jesus actually is. And then God says, now because of this encounter, you will become an encounter." For your name shall be changed, and you shall be called Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, and I will give you the keys to the kingdom. So the whole concept of church was people, individuals, having a transformational experience with God, and then them becoming an agent of transformation in the earth. It's a whole concept of church in a nutshell. The word church used here Greek word, ekklesia. Somebody say ekklesia. ekklesia. Let's say it again, ekklesia. ekklesia. Let's, let's get this in our hearts and spirit because this will help us in making this paradigm shift when we begin to look at this concept of church called ekklesia. Interesting enough, when Jesus begins to introduce this to us, in interest, he didn't say, I will build my temple. Or I will build my synagogue, which were the two most prominent Jewish religious institutions at the time. See, when we read the Bible sometimes, we don't understand there was no church. So people would not have had a concept of church. So this is the first time these people ever heard the the English word church. Greek translated, ecclesia, when Jesus comes and he says I will build my ecclesia. They were had to be astonished because it was not even a religious term. So a reality, he should have said, I will build my synagogue, I will build my temple, which would have been a religious term. But no, he uses a total secular term. And isn't it interesting that he didn't tell us how to build it or how to organize it. He just said, I'll build it. And we've spent thousands of years trying to figure out how to build it. When in reality, Jesus said, I will build it. One paradigm shift is it's not mine and your job to build the church. It's your and our job to have an encounter with God. And then God will build the church with us. Right? Come on now. He chose a secular entity that was developed by the Greeks when he said, I will build my ecclesia, fascinating, challenging, and empowering Norman, when we hear about church, we talk, we think of a cross, a pulpit, clergy, a choir, worship leader, members. All that's great. But during these days when Jesus was walking the earth, he used this word ecclesia, not religious in nature and in, in any connotation whatsoever. Interesting, powerful. That they used this ecclesia, this term. It was actually a term that was used for government and, and, and politics. So this is why Jesus didn't have to explain it because everybody there knew what it was. So when he said there's an ecclesia, I will build my ecclesia." everybody knew what an ecclesia was, an Ecclesia was a group of people that would be sent from another empire to a certain geographical territory, and their job was to was to infiltrate is one word implement, proclaim the will of the king or emperor from which they were sent to that territory. So Rome took the world and brought all of uh, the world at one time under the Roman Empire, under their rule, by sending ecclesias, which was a group of people that went to a territory proclaiming the rule of Rome, the custom of Rome, Rome, the will of the emperor, I'm here to proclaim that and to make sure that it's instituted and carried out. Now granted, they were backed by great military power and great wealth. Jesus comes on the scene and he says, I will build my ecclesia. What is it? I will have groups of people that are sent from somewhere else, from another king, from another kingdom, that I will use not by might, not by power, but by my, come on somebody, that will be there to proclaim and see the transformational purposes of heaven. That's why he said, I will give you the keys and what's ever done in heaven, you will see it. Come on now. And Jesus brings about this concept called ecclesia. It was a whole different thing than what you and I would know as church. In the New Testament, the church, if, as, as you and I would know it, is chronicled in the book of Acts. But that back then, the church never referred to a building. It referred to People. And it was made up of individuals who actually operated 24-7 from house to house all over town as, tra- as a transformational organism, not a static institution. Its objective was the transformation of people and of society rather than acting as a transfer station for saved souls bound for heaven. We'll pause there a minute. It was a transformational organism, not a static religious system trying to preserve souls. Most of what we know as a church is let's get people saved from out of there and let's get them into here and let's try to keep them as clean and safe as we can until Jesus comes back or until they die so they can go to heaven. But that was never Jesus' concept of, of church. Jesus' concept of church is I will empower people with an encounter from God. And wherever they go, that will be the church in action. That's what will be happening. Yeah. 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 This fascinated me, Dan. Dan's a scholar. Conventus Civian Romanurum. Sounds like speaking in tongues. Conventus Civian Romanorum. The Greek and Roman versions of the ecclesia appeared in different forms and sizes. But the Conventus Civian Romanorum was a group of Roman citizens, normally two or three, gathered anywhere in the world. And anytime two or three gathered, anywhere two or three gathered in the name of Rome, even though geography separated them from the capital of the empire and the emperor, their coming together as fellow citizens automatically brought the power and presence of Rome in their midst. This was indeed the Roman Ecclesia in a microcosm. Does that register with anybody? Matthew 18 says, wherever two or three of you are gathered in my name, whatsoever you touch, I will do it in your... Come on, somebody. So the true Ecclesia is not when we gather here on Sunday morning. Why? Because how many of you know there's a vast divide between Sunday morning and Monday morning? Sunday, I love this encounter. This is Matthew 17. We get on the Mount of Transfiguration. Let's just build a temple here. I like this. I mean, I would love to wake up in this atmosphere on Monday morning. But on Sunday morning, I wake up and I'm like, good morning, Lord. On Monday morning, I wake up like, good Lord, morning. You know, there's a vast difference between the two. Because anybody can live in this environment and flourish in this environment. You know, this is awesome. But Jesus and the power of his kingdom was never about Sunday. Jesus and his kingdom was about Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. The whole society was transformed because of these people that had an encounter with God. Two or three gathered in my name, there I am. That means churches at the water cooler. That means churches at high school. That means churches at job. That means churches wherever two or three of us are gathered in his name, there he is in the midst of us. And there transformation should be taking place. So the ecclesia is a very interesting term when we begin to understand that Jesus was implementing a powerful agent of transformation called the New Testament church. It existed on social tracks such as mealtimes. Jesus turned tables into pulpits and homes into assembly halls where strangers were welcome. Rendering them prime candidates for evangelism. No wonder His disciples arced enemies accused them just, it says a few weeks after Passover, they filled Jerusalem with the doctrine of Christ. It wasn't because all of Jerusalem was trying to attend a church service, but because Ecclesia had thoroughly permeated the city so much that people lined up on sidewalks, it says, waiting for the shadow of Peter to heal them. Something that turned Jerusalem into a citywide campus for ecclesia. Why Jesus did not confine the gathering of his followers to buildings or subject them to a rigid schedule of centralized meetings. Instead, it was people who constituted his ecclesia wherever and whenever, as few as two or three gathered, and with his manifest presence in, in his midst. And second, because Jesus' ecclesia was not meant to be a sterile, listen, sanitized holding tank. Into which his disciples were to store in isolation, store in isolation converts fished out of a turbulent and doomed sea to await the revival of a refrigerator ship for a transfer to a heavenly portal somewhere in the future. Come on, we were never. I'm preaching just as hard as I can go now. Come on, They said, "Preach it." I said, "I'm preaching." In the same manner that Rome made its presence, power, and culture felt in the far reaches of its empire, Jesus designed his ecclesia to make his presence, power, and culture known, right? Wherever we would be and we would have the authority to legislate in both the visible and invisible realms so much that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. So ecclesia, number two, quick, gates of hell. Now this really got me... My goer going. The gates of hell was really interesting. This is a picture, actually, of a place called the gates of hell. This is a place in Israel. I've been there. And it's a place called Caesarea Philippi. When Jesus preached the message of Matthew 16 that I just shared with you, this is the location where he preached this message. Who do you say I am? Was right here in Caesarea Philippi. Now, isn't it interesting, Jesus, if I was going to introduce the church or or I was going to, you know, dedicate the church and get the church going, I think I'd have gone to Jerusalem. Right? This is the religious city. This is the spiritual city. But Jesus chose to introduce his concept of church in a very strange place, a place called Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi was interesting. Why? It was known as the center of occult worship. It was known as one of the darkest, demonized territories in all of Israel. It was here that they worshipped literally at the temple of Caesar, the temple of the god Pan, and the literal place called the Gates of Hell. The Gates of Hell was actually a physical location, a cave, where humans and animals were sacrificed and offered up to gods. Jesus deliberately chooses one of the darkest places in Israel to unveil two of the most fundamental truths of revelations. First, he is Christ, the Messiah, the actual Son of God. And two, his ecclesia would be given such power and authority that the gates of hell would not prevail in the midst of what they were doing. So Jesus goes to the darkest place and demonstrates something very interesting, that there's actually... Our world consists of matter and spirit. He was going to a demonized place to show people and let people understand that what we see with our natural eyes is not always happening by natural forces. we got to get this. What's happening in your life and my life most times are not being governed by natural things. These are supernatural things. Paul said, I wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, and darkness in heavenly places. What you don't realize is there's demonic entities that try to control your life, my life, this church, this territory, this city, and lots of families for centuries. That until somebody takes the keys and opens the gate, they control the situation. Come on, are you with me? So Jesus shows up in the midst of this darkness and chaos and says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What most of us don't realize is Yale and Harvard and these uh, prestigious universities were originally designed and built to train preachers to preach the gospel, the message of the kingdom of God, to see transformation to society. But the age of enlightenment came along and, and humanized, and now we get all this humanistic thinking instead of realizing there are real demons, there are real devils, there are real powers of darkness, and only one thing defeats them. It's the keys to the kingdom of God and the power of the Holy Ghost. So thousands of Bible schools and seminary graduates entered in the ministry being ignorant of the activity of the spirit world. Hence, we have so many churches today that are humanistic in thinking, but sometimes, let's just be honest, you can't counsel a devil. Sometimes there's not any rationalization of what's going on because it's not natural. It's a, it's a p- present power of darkness that has to be dealt with with spiritual forces. The gates of hell represent Satan's domain run by demonic deputies who enforce his control over influence or specific regions in society through governments and cultural molders such as education, entertainment, commerce, and so on. Paul describes these rulers, powers, world forces of darkness, spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Terms such as spiritual forces in heavenly places can easily mislead us to conclude that it's an ethereal reign, but the overriding context in the book of Ephesians, the teachings are found that the ecclesia's mission is to heal unreconciled human realities that exist in in the earthly realm. Read the book of Ephesians. It talks about ethnic divisions, religious disunity, ministerial competition, family strife, discord between genders and marketplace injustice Jesus calls us in Ephesians to be the church to deal with this social gap that reflects how the spirit realm determines the state of affairs on the earth and so when we realize who we are and what we're called to be and who we're called to how we're called to walk we realize and understand that God Jesus said, I will build my church in the very gates of hell and the gates of hell will not prevail because I will give you, that's you and me, the keys to the kingdom of God. To transform not only our personal lives and our family." See, some of you are just one step away from seeing your family transformed. And it's not about anything but you going, standing in your house, and you saying, Hang on a minute, I got a revelation this morning. Jesus actually is the Son of God, and He actually has already defeated you. So I just simply came home with a key, and here's what I'm doing it's to my future and my hope. So I'm standing in the middle of my house, and I'm saying, Satan, no more are you going to rule and reign in this house. I'm decreeing the kingdom of God rules and reigns in this house, and now the the kingdom of God has come here open a window say hey shout get out in Jesus name yes a shofar toot is worth that right but see we've not been taught that in the church sometimes your husband being crazy ain't just him crazy Sometimes your wife going off isn't just your wife going off. Sometimes your children being erratic, it's not just that. It's a demonic structure or strategy that the enemy's using to try. And I got good news the gates of hell shall not prevail. Come on. Touch three people, tell them the gates of hell will not prevail. You've been given the authority, the keys. To stand in the midst of that and say no, 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 and decree and declare where two or three are gathered in my, there, I am. Ecclesia. But not only that, the transformation of our city. Now here's where we got to get the real shift in our mentality. It's not just about mine and your transformation. It's about our community being transformed. This is all online, all available for your own viewing. If you want to go to the Transformational Network, 190 cities is being transformed. This man, El Savasso, was struck with a terminal disease to, to death. And he said, well, if I'm going to die, because he had been a preacher of the gospel, he said, if I'm going to die, I need to make my life count. I got like a year and a half left. So he turned one of his, he was a businessman. He turned a piece of vacation property he had into a prayer retreat, and he prayed every day. That's all he did. And then he got to thinking, well, I need to I, I don't need to pray for myself because I'm dying. <laughs> I need to be praying. For, so he put a map of cities around where he was praying and started targeting these cities in prayer. Being led by the Holy Spirit. Next thing you know, as he started doing that, he started hearing of bits of revival happening in these different cities he was praying for. Then he got to thinking, wait a minute, you mean I somehow am influencing things in prayer? Touch two people say prayer works. Long story short, you can read his story. He thinks he's dying God simply uses this time in his life to teach him something that was 40 years ago. Now he's 74 years old. God miraculously healed him, but in the process, taught him this concept of transformation. So the first city God led him to, he led him to go stand in a place that God showed them, where, that was being controlled by principalities and powers. And they stood there and they made a prayer, proclamation, and declaration. Next thing you happen that happened. The whole city, not just revival, came to one church. Revival started coming to all the churches. Next thing you know, the city council gets saved. Next thing you know, the mayor gets saved. Next thing you know, the police chief gets saved. Next thing you know, crime starts going down. Next thing you know, people start sharing what they have with one another, and poverty starts in it. Got to the point where they didn't need a jail because there was nobody to be put in jail because the kingdom of God had... These are documented stories in this same city. The mayor, when he calls for a city council meeting, also calls the pastors of the city because he said, this city is not just about natural things. It's about spiritual and natural, and we've got to manage this city together. So here's the natural things that need to be done. Now let's pray about it. So the city's in a crisis it's because it's had a spirit of poverty on it. It's much like kind of our territory. Industry moves away. Spirit of poverty now begins to hold everybody. Why is that? Why? See, poverty's not just about money. Poverty starts affecting education, health, sickness, well-being. Did you know our territory, Calhoun County, has the lowest life expectancy of any county in the United States of America? This county. Absolutely. Documented. People say, well, it's the Monsanto or the Solucia problem. Well, you can count it up to many things. I believe it's spiritual. Anyway, this city they're in a poverty. They, so there's so there's a riot because the city has no money to pay the city workers. The city workers riot in the streets. The mayor calls for a prayer meeting. He says, I don't know what to do. We must have God's help and intervene. Pastors and city councils come together and have a Holy Ghost prayer meeting. While the prayer meeting's going on, somebody comes in and gets the mayor and says, you've got to take this call, it's important. He goes out of the meeting, takes a call. While this Holy Ghost prayer meeting's going on, it's an industry that had moved away three or four years ago who's having a meeting in another city and saying all of a sudden, we had this thought, maybe we should have never left your city. If you will let us come back, we will go ahead and send you a check today for all the past taxes we would have owed you if you'll let us come back into your... It's not by might. It's not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Our problem is most of us don't care. We don't care that there's people out here dying of opioid addiction. We don't care that there's people out here living in poverty. We don't care that there's people today suffering needlessly in our own city because of poverty and lack of education and lack of well-being. And all we want to do as a church is point out the behaviors that got them there and try to point out their sin and say, well, you got yourself there. That's not the message of the kingdom. That ain't good news. Good news is not pointing out all the reasons you're here. Good news is an answer to where you're at to bring you out of it in Jesus' name. Touch three people say, we got the good news. We can't any longer sit around and call ourselves the church, the true church, ecclesia. And there's a whole community out here That's in desperate need of the good news. Desperate need for somebody to love them. Somebody to feed them. Somebody to educate and empower them. Preach the good news and see them come up and out of where they're at. And move into their purpose and their destiny. This is what Jesus is calling us to. I believe. I believe it's why this church was born. I believe we were born for such a time as this. So we started praying. Been praying for a while. Jackie Patio was riding up and down 202 and all of a sudden felt a burden. She said, I'm not sure what it is, but every time I ride 202 I feel a burden from the Lord. This was before I had this dream, For all this came to me. She started researching and found out in 1961 there was a group called the Freedom Riders which was our black brothers and sisters who had the courage to stand up against injustice and say, we're no longer going to sit idly by when we've already had, it's already legally we're free, already spiritually we're free, but we're treated like we're not free. And they dared to ride a bus facing death itself, and it happened right here in our own town where they were rocked and beaten at the bus station, which now is a national monument, and then a bus burned on 202 five miles from here. The Freedom Riders. Staggering their courage and the strength of these black brothers and sisters and some white brothers and sisters that was there as well, but mostly black brothers and sisters, that were willing to stand up against social injustice, against racism, for civil rights, and see such a thing happen. But if you mark our history... A a great portion through that was accomplished, but it's not finished. There is still great injustice happening in our own city. There's still racial divides. There's still political divides. There's still uh, uh, religious walls and religious divisions among us. There's still black brothers and white sisters and black, 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 black brothers, white brothers, white sisters, white brothers who won't fellowship with each other. Come on. There's, still, there's Baptists that won't have anything to do with uh, Pentecostals, and Pentecostals who won't have anything to do. And supposedly we're supposed to be part of the same ecclesia, but we're competing with one another for people to sit in our pews and help us pay the bills and the devil's laughing all the way to the bank. (laughs) Devil's got all these people out there held in opioid addiction, poverty, disease, and destruction, and we're fighting amongst ourselves. Who can we get to come be a part of our church so they can tithe and we can pay the bills? What break? What great program can we, and then let's just sit in our nice, air-conditioned, beautiful thing that we're in debt trying to pay off, and let's just point to all these other people and just tell them why their sin and all that's got them there and not lift one hand, not put one hand out to lift them up and out of where they are. It's what Jesus said, Pharisees and Sadducees, you heap burdens on people and you don't do one thing to get them out of it. Devil's laughing. Jesus is crying. But I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So we started praying, what are we going to do? So the Lord really gave us a strategy we believe. The first strategy. We've been praying and meeting now with with almost 100 pastors in our city. We've been praying and meeting with them. Black, white, Baptist, Catholic, Presbyterian, Methodist, Republican, Democrats, uh, political leaders, civic leaders, mayor of this city, mayor of that city. All these divides. And everybody's buying into it with us. And we simply say, here's what we want to do. We want to do a Freedom Riders March. Listen to me. May 5th, we're calling it Get on the Bus, Walk the Mile, and Be the Change. We're going to get on, bu- uh, we're, we're, we've hired buses. And May 5th, we're going to get on buses together, white and black, rich and poor, Republican, Democrat. Presbyterian, Methodist, Baptist, Lutheran, Jewish, Gentile, Greek, come on, and we're going to ride the path of the Freedom Riders, and we're going to get off at the bus station in the center of Calhoun County at the seat of authority. And we're going to stand as believers, and we're going to have proclamations that our that our civic leaders, political leaders, are going to read out loud. And we're going to repent for all the atrocity that we've done in our city to keep people held in poverty. Why? That's still happening. There's judicial in, in, injustice. There's legislative injustice. The the whole prison system's built on the back of the poor, and we're and we're locking people up that should not be locked up, and we're holding them in a cycle of poverty, and we're and we're doing filling the pockets of other people that are getting rich on the back of poor people and we're gonna stand up in the midst of that and we're saying no not to flesh and blood but to get principalities and powers and rulers of darkness that this is not happening anymore in this city or this territory in the name of Jesus And then we're going to go, then we're going to ride to the Freedom Riders Park. We're going to get out, we're going to walk right in the place where the bus was burned. The man that was on the bus, Hal Thomas, is going to be here with us. The white girl who at 13 years old pulled him off the bus, the only white person that stood up for them was a white girl, 13 years old, who got on the bus and pulled him off the bus and saved his life. They're both going to be here with us. And we're going to celebrate their courage. And we're going to ask God to give us that kind of courage. And us that kind of, that we can stand up in the midst of all this and say just what it is. And then we're going to culminate here for a city for a citywide, Calhoun County-wide community choir. Made up of blacks, whites, Hispanics, all denominations. We're going to hear these two people speak. We're going to make decrees, declarations, prayer. We're not saying it's going to end everything in this one event. We're just saying we're going to bring an awareness, and we're going to say some prayers over this city together. Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity, for there God commands a blessing. We believe it's a prophetic strategy God's given us so that we can lead see the gates of hell the demons have already been destroyed it's just their gates are still there now God has given us the key that we're going to step in and, and I hear some of you say well that's not my county I live in another county a bus is headed your way in the future too you know what I'm talking about we're we're, we're starting in Calhoun J- Jerusalem judea utter but we're but we're saying we're we're going we're saying god's given us a territory here and you and i are responsible because we are the ecclesia we have the authority in our hands we're two or three are gathered there we are wherever you're working at wherever you're going to school start standing with two or three saying it's coming here too the kingdom is coming here too in jesus name Woo! Jesus. Why don't everybody stand up a minute? We feel it's a strategy from the Lord. It's our first step as ecclesia people. And forgive me, I get passionate, you know, and I'll, I'll watch myself preaching next week, and I'll be, God, I can't believe I said all that. But you know, It's just not real. It's not real if we just come together and enjoy God's blessings and don't do anything about people that are suffering. It's just not real. It's not true. If we're called to be light and salt, it's, I, we, we're, it's not just being light for each other. There are kids in our city that have no hope, unless some of us get involved in their lives and make sure they get education, make sure they get what they need to survive. There's people that can't afford health care. There's social injustice. We've got to we've got to get involved in the in the political scene as far as the fact of just of saying the truth of you can't keep you can't keep doing the same thing over and over our city's demanding a change the ecclesia is standing up there's 400 churches my god if we could just get an agreement you wouldn't have to worry about the government if we could just if just 400 churches got in an agreement that we could make this place a better place to live And there's something about the spirit of freedom riders. I can't imagine what it was to suffer. Jackie and I have talked some about it. I can't imagine what it would be like to suffer for the color of my skin. I can't imagine what that was like. I can't imagine what people have had to endure. And we're just saying that we've got to, the kingdom of God's righteousness, peace and joy, you've got to do the right thing if you're going to enjoy the peace and the joy. But instead of being an agent of transformation, the church has become a political, correct Judging everybody that's not like us instead of going right to the gates of hell and declaring the purpose in the kingdom. With power. God's not sending. Let's don't, let's don't get off track. God's not sending us in our strength. We ain't got the strength. We're going in the name of the kingdom of God with all authority of heaven and earth to say the kingdom of God is being welcomed into this county and then to reach counties around here for the God with prayer and proclamation and decree but it's not just black there's, white, there's injustice in the white community there's political injustice economic injustice sickness, poverty systemic poverty addiction ignorance illiteracy all these things I believe God wants to change in our city And I believe he's called us to be those risk takers that would be willing to step out. But you know what I'm excited about? I'm excited it's not just us. I'm having nominational national preachers that are coming to me saying, Kent, I'm going to ride the bus with you they're saying you know what they're saying they're saying i'm gonna ride the bus but you know why i can't because sooner or later we've got to stand up for each other and if it costs me my church if it costs me my job if it costs me my denomination i'm saying it's okay because i refuse to keep doing what i am and making no transformational impact in our city anywhere else There's truth on the Republican side. There's truth on the Democratic side. It's just we can't be closed-minded to one another. We've got to be open-minded to be able to say, look, it's about a purpose. It's not about a a party. It's about what God wants to do in our lives. So, we're just radical enough, and you make me like this. You do. You, you, You make me be able to... I, I, I'm amazed that I get to be part of this because you're a group that's not trying to hold me back. You just keep egging me on. I just keep going with you, you know. But we're going to go together. Students are going to be involved. We've got high school students, and you can sign up to be a part or volunteer. You can buy a ticket to get on the bus. We've got high school students that are going to be on the side of the highway 202 with signs, courage, strength, power, anointing, and they're going to be praying. A prayer teenagers praying over the path that we're riding, preparing for the way for us to come to, to move into all this. So, you can volunteer, you can go, fo- follow us on social media, the Freedom March. You can vo- you that's online, it's a uh, uh, Facebook today. You can sign up online or you can buy a ticket, it's $20 that includes a t shirt commemorating the event. And we're just believing that there's gonna, I don't know how many is gonna be, but we're just believing for a bunch of us from all different churches and backgrounds on May 5th to make this ride together, get on the bus, walk the mile, and be the change. We believe something's going to happen. We believe something's going to shift in the heavenlies. We believe something supernatural is going to transpire just by our simple act of obedience and faith as we make this journey together. So if you would just pray with us on this, it's important. We think it's something God's calling us to do. If you would be praying for you and myself as we journey together over these next few weeks, that we can become the church that God's calling us to be. That we can make the paradigm shift in our thinking that each and every one of us has a destiny and has a purpose in this room. You have a gift, you have a calling that God wants to use in this season to be part of this ecclesia, this transformational earth. So, Father, we just come before you today and we just ask you to just bless this. Anoint us, empower us. Lord, we believe we're the ecclesia, the called out ones, the ones that are supposed to stand up for change and be a difference in society. Lord, let the spirit of Jesus be on us, the spirit of humility, the spirit of grace, the spirit of mercy, the spirit of love. Let us be that agent that has a word that can break a hard heart, but the same word that can heal a broken heart. Lord, we pray for our community, we pray for all the counties around us, Edawal County and Calhoun County and Clay County and Lord, all the, all the different entities around us, Cleburne County and all the counties around this area, this northeast Alabama corner God, we just believe that you want to do something significant and so Lord, we just pray you'd lead us and guide us by your Holy Spirit pray you'd empower us as we take the step to sign up and get on the bus today Lord, we just pray that you would begin to give us in transformational encounters with the Holy Spirit over the next few weeks as I believe you're wanting to lead us into a place which is going to be the church like we've never been before. Lord, we ask it, we believe you for it, and we thank you for it in advance. In Jesus' name, and everybody in agreement said amen. Can we give the Lord one more hand of praise this morning? I love you guys. Look, in the connection... You have all kind of kiosks that you can buy a ticket, get on the bus, sign up, volunteer, go on Facebook, follow us, like it, share it. And we'll see you here next week as we continue this journey on transformation. Be blessed.